You've tuned in to the Message to Kings podcast, where we tell the complete history. Welcome back to the Message to Kings podcast. This is your host, Brett Heaston. Every 10 episodes or so, it's good to have a break in the action. In this episode, we're going to have a talk history episode with the fellow Christian history podcaster, Lance Ralston, the producer of Communio Sanctorum, the History of the Christian Church podcast. For those of you who are not familiar with Lance Ralston, Lance is a pastor in California and the creator of his podcast. He is almost to his 100th episode, and he has been podcasting for over two years. Considering his podcast is both Christian and biblical and historical, in my eyes, his podcast is a pioneering work. Stay tuned as Lance and I discuss Christian history and podcasting. Lance, please tell us about yourself. Well, I'm uh, 50-something years old. I don't even remember how old I am now. 57? (laughs) (laughs) I've been pastoring for uh, 31 years, well, a little over 31 years. Uh, I uh, am a pastor of a church in Oxnard, California. Uh, It's a non-denominational evangelical church uh, here on the coast in in lovely California, uh, just about an hour north of Los Angeles. And uh, married, been married to the fabulous Lynn for 33 years. Wow. We, yeah, we have three grown children and one so far grandchild who's just over a year old. In fact, when I left home just a little while ago, she was over and looking forward to get back to play with her a bit. I was uh, checking out your website, Lance. I noticed you had written a book. Can you tell us about your book? Oh, my book, yes. Well, you know, pastor for that long, uh, you, you are obligated to write a book on marriage, I think. I, I, I've just noticed that a lot of pastors, if they're going to write a book, it seems to be on marriage. So, yeah, that's the obligatory book on marriage. It's called Marriage as It Was Meant to Be. Uh, what happened was, at Calvary Chapel, our philosophy of ministry is to teach through the Bible, just expositionally, verse by verse. Uh, on Wednesday nights, we'll cover from one to seven, eight chapters. And then on Sunday morning, we'll do an in-depth sermon on a part of that passage. Uh, But that doesn't mean that we won't occasionally do a topical message or a short series based on a season of need in the church. You you go through so many years of ministry and you notice it seemed to be seasons, spiritual seasons within a church where you have a whole bunch of new believers or there is a period of gossip or people are struggling financially. And of course, one of the recurring seasons that we see is marital problems. And uh, so some years ago, uh, there was a season in our church where there were a lot of uh, struggling couples. And uh, I thought it would be a good idea to take a look at what the Bible has to say about marriage. And so I did a short series, I think it was six weeks, five or six weeks on marriage, and it went really well. Um, Just, you know, nothing new, but I felt like the way that God had given me to explain things, the role of the husband and the role of the wife, the purpose and the goal of marriage, just those basics, I, I just it seemed like God gave me some kind of unique ways to share them. And so uh, the series was just really well received. A lot of the problems that people were having went away just by coming to church. They didn't need counseling. They were getting their counseling just by studying God's word. And uh, But 
the real reward was all of the couples that were happily married and have been married for a long time that came up towards the end of the series and said, you know, this has been really good because uh, our marriage had got really comfortable. It had become very routine. And uh, the, the marriage series had really given them a new vision for their marriage, a, a, a new territory that they recognized that they could press into together as a couple. And, uh, and so they said it had really blessed their marriage, and, and they really felt like they were kind of on a second honeymoon. And so uh, because of that and because of the prompting of, of a number of people, we uh, went ahead and put it in manuscript form and, and produced a book. And, uh, and then several years later, uh, we saw another season of, of marital problems, and so I freshened up the series and did it again, and uh, we were out of the first printing of the book, which had been self-printed. That's pretty much the way you got to do things these days. And uh, so we revised the book and, and came out with a fresh batch, uh, and it's done very well. I've had an, uh, invitations from several churches uh, to go and do marriage seminars and conferences and that kind of thing. Uh, it's been, been very well received. So can, where can you find the book? Uh, well, you can get it through our uh, website. We have a, a store on our website. Uh, you can also get it through Calvary Distribution. I think calvarydistribution.com has it. and uh, Or you can just contact our church, Calvary Chapel of Oxnard, and uh, we can ship one. So Lance, can you tell us about your podcast? Uh, wow. You know, here's the, here's the thing with the podcast. I'm, I'm a bit surprised at uh, how well it's been doing, how many people are listening. Uh, this really started as a labor of love. I, I love history, as the people of Calvary Chapel know. Uh, most of the studies and the sermons that I give, I make a reference to how the text spoke to its original audience. I, mm. I've always loved history, since I was a little guy. Uh, I think probably because my mother instilled a love of learning in me, and she would drag me to countless museums. Uh, we would go on business trips with my dad and whatever city we were in, she would look up the museums and we would go. And so I just had this fascination uh, with history. Uh, love good fiction as well. And I noticed that the best stories were often located around some actual event, you know, historical novels. Yeah. Uh, Rome has always held a unique fascination for me. And uh, so when I realized the genius of podcasts, I, I went looking for a uh, a podcast on Rome and found this podcast called The History of Rome by Mike Duncan. And uh, so a few years ago, I started listening to that. Most of those episodes for Duncan's podcast are about 20 minutes each, which are the perfect length for, uh, for listening to, you know, when you're working out or you're going on a run, you're working in the yard, uh, just little projects, just the perfect length. And I enjoyed that podcast so much that I started looking for other podcasts and, and found that there are other some little history podcasts here and there that deal with different topics and eras. So I thought, okay, Christian, uh, love history, love church history. What can I find in the way of church history that's in the same format? And I uh, didn't find anything. What I did find were a lot of long, dry lectures, <laughs> typically given in a seminary or a college. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, they're good content, but you know, more of a classroom setting where you got students taking notes kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, sometimes an hour, hour and a half long, uh, just nothing in that short little episodic kind of version. And so I, I said, well, okay, uh, I'll do it. And uh, I approached my friend, David Guzik, who I co-pastored with for years, and asked him if he would be interested in doing it with me. 
and uh, he just too busy. And so I said, well, I'm going to go ahead and get started on it. And so I've uh, been doing it now for a couple of years. Wow. And uh, two full years. And you, you put it out once a week. And, right. Uh, so every week you're at episode 90. You're almost episode 100, aren't you? Yeah, in a couple of weeks it'll be episode 100. Wow. So I've been listening for some time, and, and your podcast is going to cover the time period from Pentecost all the way to the modern day, I'm assuming. And where do you find your source material? or And also, do you have any struggles finding good material for your podcast? No, not really any struggles. If anything, there's so much on church history that it can be a bit overwhelming. Um, I have about two dozen resources that I use, uh, a bunch of books. I also have some um, books in my computer. Uh, Bruce Shelley's great little one-volume work titled uh, Church History in Plain Language is probably my favorite he has a, a real open and engaging style, gr- uh, just really great explanation of the history. But being only one volume, of course, he misses uh, a lot of church history. Uh, the Church in the East, which I've talked quite a bit about on my podcast, I got that from a book titled The Lost History of Christianity by John Philip Jenkins. Hmm. Uh, Jenkins has done just a, a really good job of investigating uh, a, a section, a portion of church history of, and geo- geography that, quite frankly, most Western church history courses don't even don't even bring up, and that's not the Eastern Orthodox Church, but what's called the Church in the East. We're talking about um, the Church of Mesopotamia that then that spread all the way over into China uh, and, and really took root in China for a period of time, uh, and of course, most of that church was wiped out by the Mongols. Uh, but yeah, so I that found his work really helpful. Uh, right as I began this podcast, uh, I used the Logos Bible software system, and they have thousands of volumes on all mm. kinds of subjects. And right when I started the podcast, they issued a multi-volume work called the Lion History Series on church history that's been really helpful. Uh, they break it down into the expansion of Christianity, uh, into theological issues, the creeds, um, couple books that are just real focuses on periods of history like Luther in his world and and uh, Paul in his world and uh, I really found those helpful so uh, not really a struggle finding good material if anything there's so much of it you gotta gotta kind of pick and choose what you're gonna use for each episode you, you said since you were a little boy you loved history um, what fascinates you most about history? And, and the reason why I ask is that I remember when I was little, I, first times I went to the library, the, the section that I went to was history, and I was just gravitated toward it. Um, what fascinates you the most about history? Brad, I teach high school history. Uh, one year I teach world oh, really? history, and the next year it's U.S. history. And uh, my first lecture in, in each class is always to say to the students, History's not boring. History teachers are boring. <laughs> uh, it, it, how can you not be fascinated by history? Yeah. I think because Christians have a biblical worldview, we believe that history really is his story. It's God's story. Yeah. It, it, it's God's grand epic that's already been written like a screenplay and is every day and every year being acted out. Hmm. It, it's just fascinating to me to watch people, many of them oblivious to God, doing their thing for their own reasons. And yet when you stand back from history and see how it all works together to propel the timeline 
to the very end that God's already ordained, it's just so affirming to our faith to realize that God really is in control. Hmm. The only way for us to understand the here and now is by seeing how we got here and uh, how now then is going to feed into tomorrow. Hmm. You know, the, the person who considers him or herself a self-originated island in time with no ancestry or legacy is, in my view, kind of pathetic. And I, I, I mean the word pathetic and not as a pejorative, but what the word really means, you know, worthy of, of pity, arousing, yeah. arousing pity. And so um, it just history to me is uh, the story of God outside the Bible. It's, it's, mm. it's more of God's work in time. Yeah. Hmm. So you're almost a hundred episodes into your show. Would you consider yourself a historian or a storyteller or neither? <laughs> I'm not by any stretch of the imagination, a historian. I'm, I'm much more, <laughs> a, <laughs> I'm much more a storyteller. Okay. And, and you know, really, I, I think that's a great question because I often, find is I'm scripting episodes for Communio Sanctorum that I want to turn the raw reporting of events into a story and and I just don't have time uh, mm. to do that. Um, that's a bit why I want to redo the series so far so that I can take the material and spin a bit more of a, a story out of it. Okay. In my thinking, a real historian is someone who does primary level research. Mm. They read the autographs or at least the oldest records in order to understand what happened in the past and why. All my research is simply reading the work of real historians, so it's at best, you know, second-generation info. So I can only imagine the things you've learned over the past two years, you know, stumbling and doing your research. Um, so what would you describe as uh, one of the best and worst times in church history? Best and worst times. Hmm. You know, Brett, that... That's a tough question, and I say that because, because I think I have maybe a historical perspective on the question. You know, you don't have to study history long before you realize that every age brings a kind of prejudice to our view of the past. Hmm. People evaluate how people of the past have thought and how they've acted based not on the values and priorities of those people being considered, but rather on, on the person's own cultural milieu. You know, we look back on the past and we evaluate the past by our, by our values. Uh, for example, modern Americans look back on the ancient world and its near ubiquitous fixture of, uh, of slavery. You know, I mean, most of history, in most places, they practice some form of, of slavery. And we think, you know, well, that's such a tragedy. That was so wrong. But, you know, we're evaluating slavery from the perspective of slavery in the new world really from the 18th and 19th centuries, which was a very different animal from what most of history is known in terms of, of slavery. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not justifying slavery. I'm just saying that the, the slavery practiced in most places throughout most of history was very different from the plantation slavery of the New World. So, you know, when you ask the question, what's the best and the worst time in church history, what I might pick as the best or worst would, would not be reckoned that way by those who lived then. <laughs> sure. You know, and if we were to go back and, and spend a few months in that time in that place, our assessment would probably alter dramatically. Hmm. But, you know, having preconditioned my remarks with all of that hot air, best time, 
Uh, I would love to go back to Wales during the time of the Welsh Revival in 1904 and 5. Really? I, I, yeah, oh yeah. I'd love to follow Evan Roberts around for a couple of weeks. Uh, I, I, when I get into some of this a little, little bit later and have a chance to share the, the history of revivals, specifically the Welsh Revival, things were happening then uh, that I think would be so wild to watch, to observe, and, and to spend time with Evan Roberts interviewing him. Um, worst time, the first crusade when it reached Jerusalem. I mean, that's a black mark on the history of the church that we should continue to be ashamed of. Hmm. Um, that was just wrong, 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 wrong. So I, I want to go back to that best time and Evan Roberts. Um, some of the stories from that revival are truly fantastic. And he was such a man of prayer. Exactly. I, I love that story where he called for uh, who will pray for revival. And there was only a, a handful, maybe two handfuls of people that joined him. And it was those group of people that helped change the world. Yeah, it, it, it started really with, uh, well, Evan Roberts, of course, was prompted by Seth Joshua, uh, who, who, who simply ended a church service uh, with a, a, a prayer and said, Lord, bend us. Huh. And that those words just settled in Evan Roberts' heart like a spark uh, on dry tinder. And he, he earnestly prayed, Lord, bend me. And really, it was the revival in the heart of that young Bible college student that really that became a worldwide-reaching revival. And when we talk about revival of that nature, we're not talking about you know putting a banner on your church's revival Thursday night from 7 to 9. This is revival. This is... This is, and here's why. Let me let me just say why. For example, um, it's documented that the work in the coal mines came to a halt during the Welsh Revival, and the reason why was because the miners were getting saved, and they wouldn't curse at the mules that were pulling the mine carts anymore because they were saved now, and so they wouldn't use profanity, and the mules only knew profanity. That's the only way they would move. And so, so many miners got saved and their language got cleaned up that when they went back into the mines, the mules didn't know what to do. And there was a work stoppage in the mines. I mean, that's the kind, <laughs> they had to retrain the mules. That, that's, that's revival. When, <laughs> when it affects the economy, they're, they're, uh, there was nothing for the police to do. They had to organize choirs to go around and sing in the churches because there was literally no crime. So many people were getting saved and the influence of holiness was so thick in Wales. So yeah, I think it'd be kind of cool to hang out there for a while. <laughs> and, and the Wales revival impacted Los Angeles where yes. you live. And, uh, and then it went on to touch the entire world, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Went all around the world. Wow. So, uh, here's, here's a cool question. So if you could go back in time and sit down and have coffee with three people in church history, who would it be? Three people. I only get three? <laughs> Add a couple more if you want. <laughs> three. Um, Athanasius. Really? Yeah. Uh, fourth century Bishop of Alexandria. Uh, first of all, it would just be a blast to go spend some time in ancient Alexandria, one of the key cities of the ancient world. Huh. Uh, but, you know, we're talking about the fourth century as well. And, uh, yeah. That was that was massively crucial in how the church developed. 
Athanasius really did kind of stand alone in defending the Orthodox doctrine of Christ uh, at a time when it seemed like the Arians were about to take over and, and hijack Christian theology. I mean, he, you know, the whole statement, Athanasius contra Munda, Athanasius against the world, it was like everybody else was against him, including the emperor. Uh, but this one man's determination to, no matter what the cost, hold on to what was true, uh, ended up turning the entire church and church history in the right direction and just shows the power of one man's courage. So Athanasius probably. Maywin um, Sukkot. You know who that is? No. Who is that? That's, that's the uh, birth name of Patrick. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fifth century missionary uh, who single-handedly brought the island of Ireland to faith. Patrick's story, you know, is shrouded in a lot of legend, but I mean, even taking those mythic accretions away from the story, his story is just stunning. It's just amazing. I think it'd be awesome to hang out with Patrick so that you could get to know the real story of the guy. I mean, yeah. hey, you know, you know, tell me that, did you, did you really play your flute and, and lead the snakes out? I mean, come on. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be just great to sit down with Patrick and, uh, and, and talk to him. Yeah, the, the miracles and stories from Patrick are just yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I mean, he, he, here's a guy, you know, like Athanasius, uh, he took on the Druids. Uh, just, wow, just amazing. Hmm. Uh, last guy, third guy, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, oh. Come up to more, more current times. Uh, German pastor who during World War II opposed the Nazis at the cost of his life. Wow. You, you know, the thing about Bonhoeffer was he was a genius. I mean, sir, he, he was, I don't know what his IQ was. But this guy was a, a genius, but he applied his brilliance to glorify God across the board. Hmm. Um, he was deeply involved in the in the ecumenical movement, and of course, back in those days, it, it was it meant genuine ecumenism, really getting genuine believers together. Uh, it would have been so awesome to hang out with Bonhoeffer after he came back to Germany uh, from from living abroad. Because he just sensed that he needed to be back in Germany um, training young men to be pastors of the underground church. And uh, I just think it would be a blast to sit with him, watch him. He was a brilliant leader, an amazing leader, uh, just across the board, so much to learn from a man like that. You know, plus two, I think that Bonhoeffer's example uh, is a good one for modern Western Christians today because I think we're headed into times very similar to what Germany was like under the Nazis. And I think that we're going to be facing a lot of the same kind of challenges that the German church faced. So, yeah, Bonhoeffer. So he died in 1944 or 45? 45, a couple weeks before the before the war ended. See, I'm amazed he survived, the, almost survived the war. Yeah. Absolutely amazed. Hmm. So what surprises have you run into as you put together your podcast? Have you... Have you been surprised with any historical characters or events as you researched your podcast? Oh, yeah. I, I guess probably most episodes I, <laughs> I find some kind of surprise. Uh, and you know what it comes from? It comes from stepping into the story instead of just researching and then retelling it. Uh, okay. Yeah, you know, as I study, the people involved, they go from being these flat, two-dimensional cutouts to 3D real people and they kind of become friends. I mean, especially people that you spend a lot of time studying, like a Calvin or a, or a Martin Luther. Um, and and I got to say, people that I thought going into it I would dislike, once you take the time to let them speak for themselves and consider them against their own time, 
they turn out to be okay and sometimes even admirable. And there's other people that, you know, history has turned into heroes because their story's been whitewashed. And there are some not so bueno parts of their story. Hmm. And uh, and when those come to light, they aren't they aren't quite so historic. So, or excuse me, um, they're historic. They're not heroic. Uh, a couple of examples: Constantine. Uh, I didn't think I was going to like Constantine, but the more I studied the guy, the the more convinced I became that uh, while he certainly made some decisions I wouldn't agree with, I think the course that he took, he really felt compelled that there was no other course that he could take, that he really was genuinely a believer who wanted to help the church, but he felt himself trapped by his position. So I, I, I end up kind of liking Constantine. A guy that I ended up having a hard time with that I went into thinking, oh, this guy's going to be you know, a, wow, he's going to be amazing. Uh, and I, I'm going to really tick off some of your listeners here. <laughs> Go for uh, it. Martin Luther. Huh. Uh, this guy was a piece of work. Uh, Luther was a, wow. Uh, I like what Shelley calls him, a bull in a china shop. Huh. Uh, he, he had a quite, a quite a temper, quite a problem with anger. Yeah. Uh, and as he got older, and he got to, got to cut him some slack, give him some grace here, may have been because of health, um, he... As, as he got older, he became a pretty crotchety old man. Um, right. Yeah, not, not a nice guy. Uh, his posture towards the Jews and towards anybody that disagreed with him. Um, yeah, Luther, I think, started out really well, uh, but he didn't, he didn't end real well. So, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like he had that strong will that was required to stand up for the right things, but then his temper took over. Yeah, and, and I think that happens to people. Um, that, that can happen to them with age, and I think it's a it's a warning to us all. I honor Luther. What he did was amazing. I mean, we're we're sitting here today talking from our his our religious perspectives because of what Luther began. But um, you know, we need to be honest with history. That's the point I was trying to make earlier. Uh, we, we have to be honest with history. We can't whitewash it. Yeah. Hmm. So having a passion for God and history, do you have any advice for future Christian history podcasters out there? <laughs> yeah, do it. <laughs> Go for it. it it's, it's fun, and you will learn a lot. Um, I, I would suggest be honest in your studying and your reporting. Don't spin or doctor the story. Just tell as it is. Uh, you know, the ancient purpose of recording history was for propaganda, so I think it's important that we don't sanitize what's messy or muck up what's pretty because it deals with a particular group that we may or we may not like. Uh, it's important that we tell the truth. We're Christians, and so we need to be committed to the truth. Yeah, that's good. So, uh, you, you know, you may, you may make a factual error. I know that I've probably made lots of them. Um, it, it's, it's one thing to, you know, you say the wrong date or you, you say the wrong person or you, <laughs> you mess up the pronunciation of their name, which I know I'm terrible with. Um, that's really hard. Yeah, it is. It is. I, I've looked on the internet for those places that will sound out the name for you. And yeah. I, oh, oh, look, here's who, here's two different spots that will sound it out. And well, guess what? They're sounding it out differently. So, <laughs> so, who's the authority here? Yeah. Uh, and you can so you can make a factual error. You can even make an interpretive error. But, you know, if you're if your motive is to be a witness to the truth, that stuff will get sorted out. The important point is and I'll just I'll just conclude that. But this is don't make history propaganda. Tell the true story. So to wrap up our discussion, 
where do you see the future of Communio Sanctorum, um, your podcast, and what are your plans for the future of your show? Uh, well, when we finish episode 100 in a couple weeks, I'm going to go back and rewrite and re-record the material so far. And then when we get caught up to where we are, I'll just pick up the story of church history and keep on until uh, we get to the modern day. And how many episodes do you see your podcast um, ending up? Oh, boy. Uh, I, I would guess probably between 175 and 200. Wow. So you're, you're looking at a three-year, now that you're going back, you know, a three- to a five-year project. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I'm guessing probably a couple more years. Okay. Well, it's a great work, and it's uh, um, I really enjoy listening to it. I know many other people do as well. So thank you for what you're doing, Lance, and we really appreciate it, and thanks for talking to me today. Sure. Hey, Brent, before we sign off, I just wanted to say that I've taught all the way through the Bible four times, currently working on the fifth round with our church, going through the Bible. So, yeah, I'm pretty familiar with the Word. But as anyone knows who studied the Bible, there's always more. And and it it can be downright mind-blowing to find something in a passage that you you thought you already knew five ways to Friday. And so I'm really appreciating your podcast because it's, it's upping my biblical mojo. It's giving me some new ammo. I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to go back and teach, uh, teach Exodus again because uh, you've given me some, some new perspectives. And, and, and I think that's important, just kind of a new way to look at things. And uh, you've, you've really done that. So thank you to you and your podcast. So yeah, keep well, it up. Thank you, Lance. I appreciate it. Tune in next week to the Message to Kings podcast.